Good evening, everyone. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. It is good to see y'all tonight. Looking forward to uh, our time together as uh, always. Um, normally, we will pray a psalm together. We're going to divert from that a little bit. Uh, there's a passage in Micah chapter 4 uh, that kind of sees on the other side of this new section of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, that we are going to be launching in relative to the nations. All right? So, you know, Judah is really, really small. It's a small bleep. Kurt showed this to us on the map before. It's just this little blip on the map. And so uh, Israel has all of these uh, neighbors, uh, enemies around them. And God has something to say to them too. But it's always for the purpose of redemption. God never punishes for the sake of punishing or because he's mad. But the reason that God's wrath comes is to turn people to him. So let's pray together. Uh, reflect on here uh, Micah chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I need to begin with a uh, request for forgiveness. It's chapter 25. And I just told you it's 27. So I'm sorry. But it's chapter 25. I'm totally making it hard for the people in the booth. I get up here and realize. So Steve introduced it. We are talking about Israel's neighbors. Uh, more than that, we're actually talking about family members, uh, distant relatives. So let me try to run through this quickly. And I, I know you know it, but it's important in terms of our study tonight. There's a difference, right, between a Hebrew an Israelite, and a Judean, right? Now, a Judean is all three of those things. So if you are, let's make this simple, if you are a descendant of the family of Abraham, you are a Hebrew, right? If you are a descendant of one of the grandsons of Abraham, Jacob, who changed his name to Israel, you are an Israelite. So an Israelite is both a Hebrew and an Israelite. Of the 12 sons of Jacob, okay, so 12 sons, um, one of those is Judah that produces the tribe of Judah. So really scripture is following the story of a family that starts with Abraham weaves its way through, and as we go each generation, there's sort of another focus on people in that family. And we discern that the lineage that we're paying attention to, most of all, is the tribe of Judah. There's so many characters from David to Ruth uh, that have shown up in this family in places we really didn't expect. And of course, we know where all this is leading, right? Mm -hmm. Who ultimately comes from the tribe of Judah? Jesus. Jesus. So the salvation of the world is coming through this tribe. So God has been nurturing this family all along. Tonight, we're sort of getting what happens to the other family members, the, the other ones. The, those that are Hebrews, 
but they're not Israelites. This happens sometimes to them. Moses will marry Zipporah. Remember, she was uh, living in the desert. She is a Hebrew, but she's not an Israelite. So they can be cousins in a sense, but they're not the same. Does that make any kind of sense? Are, Are we okay? So you can still be under the covenant of Abraham, but not be an Israelite. So... Let's pick up chapter let me, 25. Let me ask a question, Kurt, because sure. it's, it's going to come into play. So really, Hebrews would be uh, really all, all the descendants of Abraham's dad, right? Right. Isn't that right? right? So it's, you kind of have to skip back one generation to gather up all the people that would be called a Hebrew. Uh, any of Terah, that is uh, Abraham's dad, uh, his kids, and, and we're going to see some of his grandkids. It's actually his brothers, too, which gets a little dicey. Yeah. So just for simplicity, I'm saying just pick Abraham because <laughs> we'll go crazy trying to. Uh, it, their families are like our families. We got cousins showing up. And do you do the DNA test? And have you done that? You get the little emails. We found 23 new relatives. Oh, my gosh. It's my family. It's never-ending. I'm sure I'm related to you. I don't want to know how I'm related to you, but I'm sure I am. So it's, it's sort of that for the biblical history. There's, there's lots. But Ezekiel is going to change directions for us entirely. We've had 24 hard chapters, haven't we? And God was on one subject, Judah and what happened, and how much that hurt, and how much he was going to have to work to save it, how much he was going to have to destroy what they were doing before so that we could make room for something new. So that's over. We're in a a new phase here. It's different. He's talking about everybody else now. And I was rereading some stuff that I had written as notes when we first started this. And remember, Ezekiel almost as a book didn't make it into the Bible. When the rabbis were collating what was to be the Old Testament, the one that came up for them was Ezekiel. And they really had a lot of heartburn about it. Uh, One rabbi said, Ezekiel doesn't say what he's supposed to. And so hold on to that tonight. Um, What happens, I I think Ezekiel was meant to be in scripture, uh, and the rabbis and, and the church have both recognized that. But what happens when you're running into something that's the word of God, and it doesn't say what it's supposed to say. You ignore it, right? You go on. I like whatever better. That's not the way real relationships work. Now, we have to be careful not to say that Ezekiel applies over everything else. No, Ezekiel is part of the story, so we have to make room for the story. But they're going to say some things tonight that we're going to have to work to understand a little bit. But it's important, uh, and I'll just start. Look at well, Hold on 25. a second. Yeah. Before you, uh, especially when we get to the end of Ezekiel, let me ask this question. We'll probably ask it again then. But what book almost didn't make it in the New Testament? Yeah. That would be the book of Revelation. It's just like this. <laughs> it's just like it's this. Just like it's this. almost as if, oh, we don't understand it, so let's push it aside. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and people say, well, tell me about heaven. <sighs> okay. Well, let's, do, let's read Ezekiel. Let's read Revelation. That's where they were getting the descriptions, details. But it's not uh, clouds and harps and all that nonsense that we've made up. But we're not quite there yet. We're, we're going to talk about crazy family members. So chapter 25, verse 1. Then this message came to me from the Lord. You know the pattern, son of man. And that's going to set us off here. Um, remember, it's uh, Bene Adam or Bene Adam, uh, son of Adam, sons of Adam. So they're going to play off that in a minute. If that's the transforming term for us. Look towards the land of Ammon and prophesy against its people. So we can stop there. We've got a map that will help us. Uh, so we're going to be talking about all three of, well, all of their neighbors tonight. We're going to do the eastern ones first, which are relatives, and then the Philistines, which are maroon, and the Canaanites, which are blue. But first we're starting with the yellow. 
This is the kingdom of, of Amnon, and they are very closely related to the kingdom of Moab. Mm-hmm. And pastors or Bible teachers, we always do a bad job because we show you this big map, right? And it looks like it's a big country. Can we go to the Mediterranean map? Okay, you see him over there <laughs> in the green? Yeah, it's little bitty bitty. So we're not talking about great, mighty empires. Little, little bitty bitty. Okay. So. Yeah, especially the country we're talking, or the, the land we're talking about right now, it, it may be about the size of Midland County. Maybe even smaller. Yeah, Israel's 150 miles from north to south. So you could drive to Lubbock, and that's it. So we're not talking massive steps of Russia. You know, it's, it's a little bitty. So let's go back to Amnon. And these are sister tribes, Amnon and Moab. And this is kind of the end of them tonight. And I have to say, I, I, I get a little verklempt because they've been in the story for so long. And they've been the butt of so many really funny jokes. Um, these are the inbred hillbillies of the Hebrew family. And they have been mocked mercilessly because of their origin. The easiest one to pick out always is Moab. So if we've done enough Hebrew, what's the word ab or av? It's father. Like Abba. So ab, they actually say av, like Avraham. So Moab means from my father. Does it ring any bells? Oh, yeah. So let's just say goodbye to our good friends, the Ammonites and the Moabites. Go back to Genesis 19. This was way back in the beginning. So we're at the end of the Old Testament. I'm going to take you to the beginning of the Old Testament. In Genesis, Genesis 19, Abraham wants a son above all things. And God gives him how many sons? A bunch. He gives him a bunch, a lot his nephew doesn't have a father, needs someone to take care of him. And God's like, well, here you go. I don't like this one. God gives him Ishmael. Well, my wife doesn't like this one. Oh, my gosh. So here's Isaac. He's kind of slow. Oh, my God. So, I mean, it just sort of goes on. Poor God. But Lot comes back. When they go to Egypt, remember Abraham gives away his wife. Uh, there's a big dowry the Egyptians pay. Abraham goes from being you know, a goat herder to one of the richest men in the area. Um, he gets, God has to intervene to get his wife back, and he doesn't offer to give the dowry back. He just runs. So we get back to the promised land, and they have too much stuff. They're going to overgraze. They're going to kill this livestock that they've brought back. So Lot, supposedly his son, his adopted son, says, well, where do you think I should go? When we need to separate, you, you go to this mountain area. And Abraham says, well, you know, I've heard this new subdivision opening up. Really nice. It's called Sodom um, and Gomorrah. Really good family town. Just why don't you move over that area? So here Lot takes his sweet little girls, and they go to Sodom U, and... Um, I mean, the university, that sounded terrible. Um, Anyway, I should stop before I get in trouble. Good. Anyway, Genesis 19, our great ancestors here. So after Lot left Zoar, because he was afraid of the people there, he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. So this is after Sodom and Gomorrah have been destroyed. This is after Lot's wife has been killed because she turns back, wants to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. So all that's left are these two girls and Lot. Now, they should be with Abraham, but there's problems. Anyway... Continuing the story. It's a horrible story. One day, the older daughter said to her sister, there are no men left anywhere in this area, so we can't get married like everyone else, and our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine, and then we'll have sex with him. That way we will preserve our family line through our father. Which, how do they say that in Hebrew? Moav. That's why they call him that. Because... Your grandfather is also your father. So I'm not kidding about the inbred hillbillies. 
so that night they got him drunk with wine and the older daughter went in and had intercourse with her father. He was unaware of her lying down or getting up again. Ugh. So if you could get away with it once, the next morning, the older daughter said to the younger sister, I had sex with our father last night. Let's get him drunk with wine again tonight. And you go in and have sex with him. That way we will preserve our family. And this is what every Hebrew has ever said about, I can't believe we're related to these people. Dear God in heaven. Um, but you're not, you're not to the good part yet. Um, that way we will preserve our family line through our father. Okay, so that night, they got him drunk with wine again, and the younger daughter went in, had him, of course, with him, as before he was unaware of her lying down or getting up again. As a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. So this is, they actually say it three times, Moab. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him, no surprise here, Moab, from their father. He became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Moabites. So how'd you like to celebrate that every year? Um, when the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Ami. He became the ancestor of the nation known as the Ammonites. Okay, so they have hung on as this inbred, semi-nomadic, desert-dwelling bunch of weirdos. They hate uh, the other family members. I mean, it's almost like a family rivalry. Isaac got all the attention and love, and here Lot's daughters had to do all this horrible stuff. They were never accepted, you know, sort of back into the fold because of what happened. There was always this sense that both Ammon and Moab would try, when Judah was weak, to take advantage of it. In the time of the judges, they would attack them. They would raid their villages. They would steal their produce. I mean, it's just bad, bad blood. They're never really that much of a threat because, again, they're nomads, basically, in the desert. David will basically beat up on all of them and conquer their territory. They'll get their freedom back, sort of, when the Assyrians come in later, but they've, they've just been hanging out in orbit. They, like the Judeans, have been very fearful of what the Babylonians will do to them if they will wipe them out. In fact, that's, that's about what's going to happen. So with all that background, no secrets hidden. Son of man, this is back in Ezekiel 25. Son of man, look towards the land of Ammon and prophesy against them. And then verse 3, look at this carefully. Give, what does your Bible say? The Ammonites... The, the IT stuff, I-T-E, is Old English. They never, they're never Horites or Amorites or Ammonites. Uh, it's just Old English. I don't know why we hold on to those. They say Bene Amna, the sons of Amna, which is our translation, Amnon. This is a play off words that, like I said, son of man... The way they say that is sons of Adam. Israel is called the Bene Israel, the sons of Israel. So there is a tenderness here, as despite all that we've heard of how disgusting their origins are, there has always been this sense of mercy that God has still shown them because they are still what? They are still Hebrews. They're not Israelites, they're not Judeans, but they were still part of Abraham's family, even if he didn't claim them. So they have endured for, we've got to stop and think about that. Um, we're about 587, and so Abraham was about 1400 BC, so they've, they've endured a long, long time. That's mercy, that's love. They're not God's chosen, um, but he is tender towards them. But something has happened. Give the Ammonites or the Ben-Amah this message from the Sovereign Lord. Hear the word of the Sovereign Lord. Because you scoffed when my temple was desecrated, you mocked Israel in her desolation and laughed at Judah as she went away into exile. I will allow nomads from the eastern deserts to overrun your country. So a couple things to pick apart there. 
uh, we now have the Sons of the East, which if you're a history buff, we know these people as the Arabs. This is the first little inkling that there are other nomads that are coming out of the deserts that are fiercer than the Semites that we've had before. They won't really hit their stride for another 500 years or so, but they're just beginning to flex their muscle. And the first that's going to feel that wrath are going to be the Ammonites. So they have endured long. They've had their ups and downs. They would join the Judeans in alliances to try to resist the Babylonians. But when the Babylonians came for the third time and took out Jerusalem, the Ammonites started rejoicing because they thought the Babylonians were going to take their relatives out and leave them alone. So in German, we call it schadenfreude. I think it's an English word too. Do you, do you know it? It's when you take joy and the harm of your enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when someone you don't like gets hit by a bus and you laugh. It means you're German. But it's, <laughs> it's called schadenfreude. Um, it's this joy and... Uh, and is God a fan? So what... Look carefully. What did they do that's now going to end them? They did. Um, because you scoffed, and does your, any of your translations have a ha or something like that? Ah, ah, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. It's like, yes, yes, yes. I want you to die, die. Um, does God care about Israel, Judah? A great deal. Uh, We just spent 24 chapters where he has poured out his heart and his love. Now, poor Amnon's just going to get six verses. You're in trouble. I'm destroying you. Goodbye. Um, And he spent 24 chapters letting Judah have it. So who does he, I hate to say this, but Ezekiel, who does he care more about? Judah. There is, in Jewish literature, this real sense that God gives it to them worse because he expects more. He, in a sense, loves them more. What they're tasked to do is a much bigger job than other nations. He didn't expect much from Amnon. Uh, they, they got off to a rough start. Um, when your family tree is a leaning bush, you're in trouble, right? So he didn't expect much. But what he was not going to put up with is that they were going to delight in the destruction of his temple and they were going to scoff and belittle, in a sense, his people. Couple things. In the New Testament, who is Jesus usually very focused on talking to? Right. Who are Judah, the first 24 chapters. He puts them over the the coals because they are the chosen and he expects more from them. Whereas a Roman or a Samaritan, he expects nothing because they were not part of the covenant. A lot of times we misunderstand. We think, oh, Jesus hated this group. Mm." If it's like Ezekiel, he actually cares greatly. And so he's really focused on them. Amnon... Not so much, but but I think they're going off of what Kurt's talking about there in the New Testament. Um, what does Jesus say about Israel's enemies? Come on, to love them, and that and, and so like, what's the alternative besides saying, "Aha, you got what was coming to you because you treated us bad, so badly for twelve hundred years"? What's the alternative? To love them, right? To, to sacrificially will the good of another, right? 
That's the alternative. You know, it's, this is really interesting. Um, all this tension through these first 24 chapters has been building up and building up and building up. And the last thing that we hear at the end of chapter 24 is there's going to be this guy that shows up to tell us what? That Jerusalem's done. And then all this tension is built. And then you go to chapter 25 and it's like, what? Now you're going to start talking about our enemies? I wonder what that did for them. Did it cause them to like, start saying, yeah. Going to get them back too for all the ways they treated us badly? Or did something start opening up their heart as they heard about the judgment of their enemies as well? It's something to ponder as we uh, go through these chapters. And for sure, it's probably best to think of this really series of wars from the Assyrians to the Babylonians as World War Zero. It, it was unlike any war the ancients had seen. And in fact, you're going to see it dying off, some tonight, a lot next week, of people that had existed way back into the Bronze Age. One of them that are going to disappear now are the Ammonites. Uh, they are... Uh, they're going to pass from the pages of history. Uh, so again, this this warning from God, um, and it, it, I hear a, an echo of the promise to Abraham that I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. Yep, uh, they've passed into that other category now, and so this this tendency because you scoffed when my temple was desecrated. You mocked Israel, and you laughed at Judah. Uh, I will tell you, as a German, uh, and as a guy who studied Egypt a long time, don't screw with the Jews. Um, the Ammonites would tell you the same thing. Don't screw with the Jews. There is something special about Israel, about the mountain, Zion, that we just read from the Psalms. All salvation comes from them. Uh, Jesus comes from them. You cannot separate out. So if push comes to shove, do we side with Israel? Do we not side with Israel? I think we're going to see a repeated message here tonight. You better side with Israel. Uh, it, God is protective, uh, has always been of them. But verse 6, And the sovereign Lord said, Because you clapped and stomped and cheered, with glee at the destruction of my people, I will lift up my fist against you. I will give you as plunder to many nations. So here, you Hebrews are being turned over to Gentiles. I will cut you off from being a nation and destroy you completely. This way that you will know that I am the Lord. And thus ends that very, very sad story that so many centuries ago began in, in Genesis. All the while, their neighbors were the source of salvation for them. There are, well, I don't know if there's Ammonites. There's some Ammonites that married David. Uh, there's definitely Moabites. Who was a big famous Moabite? Ruth. I mean, if at any point you change your allegiance, you change your life, you give yourself to Yahweh, it, you, you become part of the family. I mean, Ruth had this kind of ancestry. So let, let's go down and look at Moab. It's, it's very, very similar. Verse 8, the sovereign Lord said, because the people of Moab have said that Judah is just like all other nations, I will open up their eastern flank and wipe out their glorious frontier cities. Uh, Beit Yemish, Yemish, Oth, Balmeon, and Kiriathayim, and I will hand the Moabites over to nomads from the eastern deserts. So again, it's these Kadim, these Easterners, just as I handed you over Amnon. Yes, the Ammonites will no longer be counted among the nations. And in the same way, I will bring judgment down on the Moabites, that they will know that I am the Lord. <clears throat> so there's even less said uh, about the Moabites. This is hard, and this is part of the reason I think we stumble when we hit some of this. It doesn't sound like 
they were given enough of a fair, fair shot. But I don't think that's the case. This has been going on for centuries. Uh, they literally watched the Bible unfold next to them. And their family hatred, their envy, caused them to say what God is doing is good. They termed it evil. Does that remind you of a teaching of Jesus at all? Jesus actually doesn't get upset about a lot of things. But one of the things he does get upset about is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, right? And what he said was happening, specifically with the Pharisees, is that you say that God is of the devil. That you say when God performs a miracle and he heals, you assign it to something dark. So what that ends up doing is pushing people away from that which will give them life. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, Jesus is talking about himself because they're casting dispersions on him and saying he's the prince of demons and all this, and so people won't turn to him. And Jesus is not really going to let you do that. You can't, you know, God gives the cure for something and you want to rip the label off and put poison on it and then pass it out to people. He, he does not stand for that. And in the same way, the message of God, the word of God that came from the Judeans, came from Israel, came from the temple, can't be mislabeled as something else. We looked at how really small they were on the map. But has the Bible of the Jews affected our world? I, I would say incredibly Maybe just more about than anything else. The, when I was in Egypt, Egyptians always say, look at the pyramids. Yes, we, we did this. You know, they have a saying. Um, uh, I can't remember the first part of it. Um, time destroys all things or something like that. Nothing can withstand time, but time fears the pyramids. You know, so they're, they're so proud of their pyramids. And in Israel, they say, we never built a pyramid, but we built this. That... And in a sense, this has done far more to change our world than the pyramids ever could possibly. Um, the largest religion on our planet by far is what came from this book. And so no, God is not really going to sit by and allow people out of spite to twist it and turn it. Mm -hmm. And so Moab, which had been given probably more chances than Amnon, I think, at least showed up more in the Old Testament, uh, comes to an end. Archaeologically, and this is kind of funny, we both can prove the existence of Moab and Amnon. Uh, we have inscriptions, we have examples of where they lived. And you would think it would not be the case. When Steve and I were in seminary, we were constantly bombarded. There is no proof that <laughs> David ever existed. No archaeological proof. David is like Robin Hood, he's a fantasy. Well, that has been disproven like eight different ways now because we found all sorts of references to David. But before that, there was plenty of proof that the Moabites existed and the Ammonites existed. And I kept saying, why? How could these people really be part of the story? Because who's going to make up our name Moab? You, you can't explain that away. I mean, and they call themselves Moabites, okay? They, 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 Moabim, um, which is, has anybody ever been to Utah and enjoyed, yeah. Have you ever been to Moab in Utah? <laughs> it's beautiful. I love it. But I always want to explain to the people, yeah, you really ought to read Hebrew before you name your town these kind of things. It's just not good. It's, it's bad. Um, what would be the mat? Never mind. Never mind, Kurt. What's the mascot for the Moabite football team? <laughs> <clears throat> anyway... <laughs> I want, to, I want to invite you to underline a phrase at the end of verse 8. Look, Judah has become, underline this, like all the other nations. You know, words are words. But when you change tone, that makes all the difference, right? Are the Moabites telling the truth? 
that Judah became like all the other nations? Is he telling the truth? Yeah, God said that several ways. They ain't right. Yep. They are telling the truth. And just right there underneath it, 1 Samuel 8, 20, that's the, that's the first time that that line is uh, mentioned in Scripture. And if you'll go back to 1 Samuel, what, what is happening there is the Israelites are asking for a king. It was never God's intention for them to have a king because who wanted to be their king? God, right? We get, a really, we get real uncomfortable with theocracy, but that's how God planned it with the Israelites, right? And, uh, and that's what they said. We want a king to rule over us so that we can be like all the other nations around us, right? And it happened all the way to the point of, like we've said repeatedly, of sacrificing their children, which God forbid all the way back in the book of Leviticus, he said, this is coming and don't do it, right? So the Moabites are telling the truth, but just like the Ammonites, they're kind of rejoicing in a truth that should be a tragedy, And I think that's a teaching point for us. Like, we have different ways to see the world. Uh, maybe you're more Republican than Democrat, and maybe uh, you're hoping that at the, uh, at the midterm elections that the Democrats get laid waste uh, like they did um, in the middle of Barack Obama's first term. And will they be celebrating? Well, be careful. Just be, be careful what you celebrate and how you celebrate. To celebrate the Israelites becoming like all the other nations was not a good thing to celebrate. It's a tragedy. And when we see tragedy that is out in front of us, our invitation is not to celebrate it, but to be the light in light of the tragedy. The other way to think about it. So these are really hard times. And part of going through these nations is that there's only one that's going to be resurrected. There's only one that's going to come back from oblivion. And that, that will be Judah. But let's move on to Edom, verse 12. So if we can go back to our, our map real quick of the, the tribes. Yeah. So Amnon went first. And I should have brought a, a, a better one, but the, the Arabian Desert actually comes up. Um, and they're, they're eating off the eastern side of it. And I'm just thinking here, um, what's the capital of Jordan? Ammon, which is still the biblical name. Uh, but so Amnon is gone, Moab is gone, and now the kingdom of Edom in the south. Now, the Edomites are... Israelites. They're Hebrews like Amnon and Moab were, but this is the twin brother of Jacob. So remember, when Jacob was born, there were two that, that came out, uh, sort of different order, and the first child was born. He was red. Yeah, he was an outdoor. He was a, and well, how does the Bible describe him? He was like a little werewolf baby. And we were like, yeah. So, I mean, he had hair on the back of his hands. On his, I mean, just everywhere, like the nastiest Middle Eastern you've ever seen. It's like right there is Edom. And it was this red hair. And so what did they name him? Harry, which is what Esau means. So I, I really, if I could change anything in the Bible, I would change Esau to Harry. Um, and he, he's just like this, you know, outdoor survivalist, big manly man. And his twin brother is smaller and weaker. And what color is he described as? Yellow. Because he stays inside and cooks with his mother. He's a very good cook. I mean, it's, it's really disturbing. And Israel's like, really, we have to be descended from the mama's boy? Why can't we be descended from the big hairy guy that hunts? So he had red hair. The word for red is Edom. So these are Israelites they are a little more connected to Israel 
but there is still a lot of rivalry. So the red-headed stepchildren, if you will, have been Edom. And they have also been rivals. Larger, little more civilized. There's actually Egyptian letters where the Egyptians are moving up through the area. They still have mines in the area. And the Egyptians say, wow, these Edomites are tough. Uh, and the Egyptians will actually recruit them as mercenaries. So again, they're confirmed for us historically. And this, this uh, strength, this werewolfness, I don't know what it is, this hairiness is, is sort of confirmed with them as well. But uh, this is what happens with Edom. And the sovereign Lord says, the people of Edom have sinned greatly by avenging themselves against the people of Judah. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, I will raise my fist of judgment against Edom. I will wipe out their people, cattle, flocks, with a sword. I will make a wasteland of everything from Temna to Dedan. By the hand of my people of Israel, I will accomplish this. They will carry out my furious vengeance. Edom will know it is from me. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So what Edom did is when the Babylonians took out Jerusalem... The government was crippled. The army was gone. If we can go back to the map for a minute. All of southern Judah was exposed to the Edomites. And so this whole business about, um, I will wipe out your cattle flocks with a sword is exactly what they had done against Judah. The Judeans are being hauled off in exile uh, or they're being slaughtered. So, in a sense, it's time to pillage. It's, it's time to ransack the stores, uh, to riot. And that's what the Edomites did. Um, again, these are uh, people that are, should be under the covenant, should be in a place where they want God's will to be done, but they're, they're craven. Uh, they are, are taking advantage of the situation not all of the Edomites are destroyed. There is a line of them that will continue. And this is very unfortunate. When we go to the New Testament, we go to another language, Greek. And so a lot of times we lose sort of the connections of people because they have different names in the New Testament. But the, generally in the New Testament, Edom goes by the Latin name, uh, Idumenia, which is the home of Herod. So Herod is one of these Edomites. Does he continue to cause problems for Judah? So imagine a nation of Herods. Uh, this is why the people in Judah were so upset when Herod was appointed by the Romans to be their king. He's not a Judean. He's not, he may be an Israelite, but he's not of the tribe of Judah. He is of the red people in the desert. He's not one of us. And we find out that Herod hadn't even been circumcised. Uh, there was some of that that had to go on when he became king. So not quite finished with the Edomites, but again, God had preserved them for a long time. I think given them plenty of opportunities to join in a sense, the march of Judah. And they showed their true colors in the end. When Judah uh, was taken away, uh, they robbed and pillaged whatever they could. So God may have been mad at Judah for 24 chapters, but by God, don't mess with them. Um, they're my people. I will mess with them. You leave them alone. So... Any comments about Judah or uh, Edom? Yeah, at least read through it. It's got a good good nugget in it. Oh, what nugget? Oh, Teman. About what? Teman. Teman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Teman. So, okay, hold on. Let's see if I can get it. Who comes from Teman? Anybody? It's it's You get you get a big you get a big prize if you get this right. It originally it's Timna further back in the Old Testament. Yeah, Timna. Who comes from Timna? Teman. Nobody. The, the, what would be like the Sunday school answer for the Old Testament? Who, who comes from the east? What comes from the east? Always. 
If storms come from the east, they are bad. So that's what they always say. From the east is bad. But from the south, who comes from the south? God. God comes from Timnah. That's a saying yeah. in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can say it's God's hometown. Yeah. Timnah. It is it, and it's Habakkuk 3.3. Three. There's is very three. extensive copper mines that were uh, mined forever. Everybody's fighting over them. And uh, yep. it's what Edom wants them. So that was just a free, fun trivia thing, but it's cool. All right. Try to finish up this chapter. Yeah, 15. Now the sovereign Lord says, the people of Philistia have acted against Judah out of revenge and longstanding contempt. Now we can breathe a sigh of relief. The Philistines are in no way related at all to Judah. They're not Semites. They're not even local people. If you go back to our, our map... The Philistines are the closest people related to us. They have just that little maroon area along the coast. And they are, they've been proven both linguistically and now DNA evidence to be proto-Greeks. So I'm talking like Mycenaean Greeks. This is a little bit before Spartan, Atha, and all that kind of stuff. But during the migration of the sea people, during the end of the Bronze Age, the catastrophe, the beginning of the Iron Age, there was this massive migration of people that devastated much of the ancient Near East. The Egyptians managed to stop them and kill most of them, but one little tribe of them survived, and that was in five cities along the coast of, of Israel. These were the Philistine cities. Who is the most famous Philistine? Goliath. So these are Goliath's people. One of the reasons the Israelites said, my God, those people are huge, is because they're Europeans, right? And the ancient Near East is almost always filled with little brown people. <laughs> I mean, like a five-foot guy is tall in Egypt. So they're, they're little people. They do amazing things, but they're little. Um, so the Philistines have been also around for a long time. They're not much of a power left. They have a few heavily fortified cities but just like the rest of Israel's neighbors, people of Philistine have acted against Judah out of revenge and longstanding contempt. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, I will raise my fist of judgment against the land of the Philistines. I will wipe out the Carathites, which are, is part of the sea people nation that had become intertwined with the Philistines, and utterly destroy the people who live by the sea. I will execute terrible vengeance against them to rebuke them for what they have done. And, I, and when I have inflicted my revenge upon them, they will know that I am the Lord. So this is the end of the Philistines, the end of Goliath's people. Uh, they don't exist at all in the Middle East today. In fact, uh, of all these uh, groups, um, only the, the Jews, Israelis, and the, the Easterners that we've looked at a little bit, uh, the Arabs, um, are, are existing people today. But the Philistines did exactly what the Edomites did when Israel was, or Judah was destroyed. They went in and took what they could, they could get, slaves, people, land, what was left over, pick up the scraps. They really worked like scavengers. Uh, in their case, it is the, Phil, or the uh, Babylonians that wiped them out. The Babylonians want control of the trade routes along the coast, and that is what the Philistines sit across. So bye-bye to them. So this is another free thing. So uh, anybody, any, anybody fans of The Chosen in the room, The Chosen show? If you, if you don't know about The Chosen, the, download on your phone The Chosen app and just start watching these episodes. So good. I mean, I will say it will change your life. Don't, don't you think so, Mackie? Yeah, change your life. So good. Uh, but the, the, uh, the uh, distribu distribution company is called Angel Studios. They are trying to uh, um, see if they can raise uh, some money to put out an animated show about King David. Uh, kind of like in the, in the, the genre of the Prince of Egypt. And I'm like, hmm, 
how are they going to portray David when he aligns, aligns himself with the Philistines? How's that going to work out for kids, kids t- TV, Kurt? Mommy, I, I want a Bathsheba action figure. One that, no, you don't. It's like, I'm like, oh, Can I have man. a doll? But just think about that. that the, these, were, these were Israel's enemies all the way back in the book of Judges. The first person that made any progress with dealing with the Philistines was Samson. Remember pushing down the columns and all that stuff? Yeah. And then David finally uh, subdues them, gets them out of Israel's hair, and here they are again, um, and it's the Babylonians that finally uh, completely destroy them. But it's, uh, they have a very sordid uh, history for sure with Israel. So in all of chapter 25, we've really dealt with very minor characters in Israel's, Israel's time. I mean, at one point the Philistines were something great, but they, that day would long pass. There is another group of people that is more populous in the land than Israel and has been their greatest enemy uh, spiritually, physically, economically, and it's the Canaanites. So if we can go back to the, the your, uh, Mediterranean map for a second, the, the other one. So if you can see all of the red, the, the Canaanites originally inhabited the land that Israel uh, took, the promised land. They took it from them. This was that very disturbed group of people that God said, wipe them out. You, you do not need to... Uh, allow any of them to live. And this was, we've talked about it extensively, because of the ritual prostitution and the sacrifice of babies. So Israel has been fighting this war against them. Israel has made great strides in the interior, in the mountainous areas. But if you look on the coast, there's huge uh, Phoenician, well, I'm going to switch terms here. So when Canaanites live along the coast, the Romans called them the purple people because the Romans would buy purple cloth from them. And this is where we get our word Phoenician. So again, we're we're jumping from a Old Testament is Canaanite, New Testament is Phoenician. It gets a little confusing. But these were extremely wealthy merchant powers. And the reason I have this map is their influence is throughout the Mediterranean. The Phoenicians and their colonies, they they set up a colony in Carthage, just about defeat Rome. Hannibal, uh, that crossed the Alps in elephants, if you remember that story, um, to attack Rome. He had elephants in Africa, and he marched them all the way through Spain, went through the Alps, and brought them down to Rome. The Romans hate elephants. Uh, It's another story we'll get into, but... The people that did that were these Phoenicians. God has got a lot to say about them. We're, we're going to get into a couple chapters, um, and I, I need to sort of warn you, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Who is the Lord of the Canaanites? Baal. And who is Baal? He is Satan. So let me read you out of chapter 28, uh, just, just a little bit, and see if you can understand what we're talking about. God's talking about the defeat of Tyre, of the d- defeat of the Phoenicians. And suddenly, this is chapter 28, verse 11. We'll, we'll go through this next time. But, uh, son of man, weep for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the perfection of wisdom and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You clo- your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, chrysolite, white moonstone, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. There you were, they were given to you on the day that you were created. I ordained you as a mighty angelic uh, cherubim, uh, You had access to the holy mountain of God, and you walked among the stones of fire. Who are they talking about? The devil. The king of Tyre 
in the sense the spirit that inhabits the Phoenician religion and why they burn babies is Satan. So when God comes to deal with them, it's, it's a lot bigger than just Moab or Ammon or something like that. So look carefully at that. People ask us, how, much do, well, how do we know all this stuff about Lucifer, the devil? It primarily comes from here, here and in Revelation. So there's a lot more going on we'll pick up next week. Well, even Jesus picks up on some of this language. Oh, sure. Uh, from here, uh, Isaiah has some of this language as well. Yep. So it's all, it's all connected. Uh, it's interesting that that list of precious stones, you've heard that list before, haven't you? That's the list of stones that are on the, the breastplate of the high priest. And so in some ways, this creature, this uh, cherub, was priest-like, right? It's very interesting was to be priest-like, but alas. Yeah, always remember, Jesus calls Satan Beelzebub, which is the Greek rendering of Baal-zavul in the Old Testament, Lord of the Air, which is the, the title of the king of Tyre. So there's a lot uh, of dealing with evil that we'll, we'll talk about next time. But we've done this fast tonight, destroyed three nations, and time for dessert. <laughs> Are there any questions? That's it's exactly right. Most tribes didn't. Um, the places of Tyre and Sidon were originally supposed to be part of Israel, but they they couldn't wouldn't take them. It was too much. Uh, Let me show you. I I should have done this. Um, Show them the picture of Tyre. That is the city of Tyre. Now, what do you notice about it? Yeah, it's right off the coast. They built their main fortress off the coast. So they think no one can touch them. Now, they're a great maritime power. They are probably the great, well, certainly the greatest in the eastern Mediterranean, probably the whole Mediterranean in terms of naval power. They don't have an army to save their life. They're sort of like Britain um, at this time. But if God decides to come after you, do you think you're going to be safe on your little island? No. Nope. And we'll get into what the Babylonians do to them. Um, Babylonians just build a big bridge, go out there and kill them all. So, oops. Um, But yes, that was originally supposed to be Israel. So. All right, let's pray. Father God, we know we sometimes speak glibly and with humor, but we know it breaks your heart when any of the family are lost. But our choices, you teach us, do matter. And your plan to save all people through Jesus, through the tribe of Judah, is one that you hold to desperately. For you have sacrificed so very much to provide an option, not just for Jerusalem or Judah to be saved, but for all of us. You gave that opportunity to the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Philistines, as you offered it to us tonight. We pray that we can end where we began as we shared a psalm where ancient Judeans knew that hope came from the mountains of Jerusalem, that salvation would flow down and cover all people. We recognize that we are the outsiders that have come, but a table has been set for us. We have been welcomed because we have chosen to follow the one true God and the true path of salvation. Help us, O Lord, to hold that with as much tender, loving reverence as you do. May we ever be a support for your people as we strive to be your people. Help us, O Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Good night, everyone. Right bones right now.
soon pass.